Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Today's episode of Get Booked is brought to you by the Read Harder Journal. Created by Book Riot, this smartly designed reading log consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of every book you read. Evenly interspersed among these entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by our annual Read Harder Challenge, which began in 2015 to encourage readers to pick up passed over books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. Indulge your inner book nerd and read a book about books. Get a new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant. Find a hidden gem by reading a book published by an indie press and more. Each challenge includes an inspiring quote, an explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding for you, and five book recs. So get your copy of the Read Harder Journal at bookriot.com slash readharderjournal. This is the Get Book Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 163, and we are recording on January 9th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi. Hello. I'm here. We're here. Your internet is back. Yay. It is. We were supposed to record yesterday, but my internet went out, so I spent the day at Starbucks. <laughs> like a weirdo. <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. What are you reading? I am reading I'm reading a sci-fi anthology called oh. Resist Tales from a Future Worth Fighting Against. Dang. Um, yeah, I know, right? It's like not subtle. It's not even a little subtle. Um it's great. I'm really enjoying it. It came out last year and I remember I bought it because um a big chunk of the proceeds from what I remember go to the ACLU. Like it has an ACLU sticker on the cover and everything. Oh. Um and it has stories from Saladin Ahmed, Charlie Jane Anders is in there. Uh, who else? So many good people. Sarah Kuhn, who I love. Um, uh, Fran Wilde is in there. Charles Yu, Daniel H. Wilson. Like lots of folks that we know and love or that I know and love uh, writing uh, from. And yeah, it's it's basically, you know, like sci-fi authors thinking about possible tomorrows that we would like to not have um and that sounds really depressing <laughs> like when i'm i'm sitting here describing it out loud i'm like why would anybody pick that up like we live in a future that is kind of one that we did not want but that's kind of the point of this i think is that like we still have time like we have time to reroute and here are some thought experiments about why we should reroute uh so i'm digging it i'm you know it's it's uh there's some really good writing in here some of my pieces some of the pieces are going to be favorites i think and it's uneven like a lot of collections there's some that i didn't care for but i'm not done yet and i'm still going and i'm liking it so that's my story about that what about you I am finally reading The Fate of the Tearling by Erica Johansson. <laughs> You're just like half a decade late on that one. I it's know. Okay. It's, it's okay. Welcome. I am terrible at reading series, like super, super bad. And it's actually something that I, I would like to get better at. And it's one of the reasons why my TBR bookshelf is separated. Like I have a whole shelf just for books in series that I've started Ooh. and have not finished. So as I cycle through my TBR, 
when I get to that shelf, I have to read whatever is next on that shelf. So the fate of the tearling was just what was next. So I started it, <laughs> um, which is great because I love that series so much. The Queen of the Tearling is is one of my favorite fantasy novels. I love it. Um, I also love that it's like way more controversial than I ever expected it to be. Um, but as often happens, and this is probably the reason why I'm so bad at reading series, I have no idea what's going on. Like, I don't remember anything that happened in the second book. I re- well, I remember that she gets, like, captured and there's... Spoilers, there's, spoilers. Sorry, yeah. And there's, like, some supernatural... So I don't know. Well, the book is several years old, right? So, yeah, like, no, true, true. Is it a spoiler? Because I'm so far behind. Anyway, I'm finally reading the conclusion. Uh, I'm only two chapters in. And it's great, even though I'm very confused. But I did that to myself. <laughs> Listen, I can't throw any stones on that one. I've only read the first book in that series. So you're it's ahead of me if it makes you feel any better. It's just my story, right? Like, yeah. series, yeah. Just I just want to finish them. I'm trying. I'm going to be better about it. I always end up enjoying it. Like, I don't know why. Mm. I just get distracted by new shinies. I was I just going to say, there's so many books to. in the world. That's why, mm-hmm. Amanda. It's not a mystery. <laughs> yeah. Squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So that's what we're reading. Uh, how the show works. Like I said, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So you can send us your reading recommendation requests via email to getbookedatbookguide.com, or you can drop them in the form in the show notes on the site. And these can be reading recommendations for anything for you um, or for, you know, a book club. If you need a gift for someone and you don't know what to get them, you can send any and all of those to us. If your question is time sensitive, please mention that in the subject line of your email or in big, bold letters in the first line if you're using the form so that we can see it and get to it on time. We might email you back if we're not going to get to it on time on the show or if we have already answered your question, um, we will email you back. And I think that's it. We don't have any feedback this week. Um, First full week back. Uh, from the holidays, so it's kind of, you know, a little quiet around here. All right, I'm going to read our first question. Jen will tell us about our first sponsor, and then we will carry on. Question one is from New Year, New Me, and this person says, I'm focusing on changing habits in 2019 and interested in the link between food and diet and anxiety. Can you give me some New Year's resolution-type book recs for January? There are so many gross lifestyle books out there, but I'm more interested in pop science. I've personally read Off the Clock by Laura Vanderkam, the Brene Brown suite. <laughs> I love that phrase. I, know. I just picked up Rest and Bored and Brilliant. I haven't read Gretchen Rubin, but she's on my radar. All right, Jen. Go, go, Gadget. All right. So our first sponsor is now out in paperback. It's uh, Samira Ahmed's New York Times bestselling debut, Love, Hate, and Other Filters. And it is a about a 17-year-old Indian-American girl named Maya Aziz who is torn between two worlds. There's the proper one her parents expect for their good Muslim daughter and the world of her dreams, which includes going to film school and pursuing her longtime crush. But in the aftermath, excuse me, aftermath of a terrorist attack hundreds of miles away, her community is suddenly consumed by fear and hatred, and Maya must find the strength to decide where she truly belongs. Um, this was one of 2018's most talked about YA debuts. I think it maybe even got recommended on this show, perhaps? I'm pretty sure it did. Um, it was named a Best Book of the Year by Seventeen, Bustle, BuzzFeed, and School Library Journal. It was chosen as a Goodreads Choice semifinalist and Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writers recipient. So if you have been paperback waiting, now is your chance to get in on this. And the paperback has loads of extras. There's an author Q&A, there's a discussion guide, and a sneak peek of Samir Ahmed's forthcoming Mad, Bad, and Dangerous to Know, which is a great mm. title. I'm yes, super on board for that. Yeah. 
So yes, um, if you have been waiting, now is your chance. If you missed it the first time around, also your chance. I have got to get this. I have heard so much about it, and I'm definitely excited to see that there is a sneak peek of the new book in there. So that, again, is uh, Samira Ahmed's um, Love, Hate, and Other Filters, sponsored by Soho Teen. Thank you so much. All right. So my pick for this question, which is for resolution-y type pop science books about food and diet, is Salt, Sugar, Fat by Michael Moss. <clears throat> I agree with the questioner that a lot of books about food are gross. <laughs> like are gross and like body shamey and create a lot of anxiety about food as opposed to um, you know, the opposite. And I feel like Salt, Sugar, Fat does a really good job of walking that line. Um, Michael Moss is an investigative reporter. He's won the Pulitzer Prize. And the book is really a deep dive into how the processed food industry creates addicts out of consumers. Um, and like they use marketing techniques that they steal from the tobacco industry. Um, a lot of the, sci- the food scientists who work for the big um like the really big profitable processed food companies, uh, like their job is to make their products more addictive. And this, he talks about like Kraft, Coca-Cola, Kellogg is a big one and Nestle is a big one. Uh, And the ways that they often try to make their products appear more healthy, like you can, like a diet Coke, right? It has diet in the title, uh, in the name of it as, as an appeal to our, you know, eating healthier sensibilities, but in reality, it's extremely bad for you. Uh, and so it's, the book is, is less about, here's what you should be eating, or, you know, you're a bad person if you eat XYZ, but it, it's more about, here's what these companies are doing to make you want to eat this. So I don't think that he, he's not placing any judgment on people really who, who do eat processed foods. He's just presenting the information in a very like, and now you do with this what you will kind of way. So if you have a lot of like anxiety about, um, about the food that you're eating or, or like don't even know where to start or like who to turn to for any kind of, um, you know, advice or starting point about uh, maybe eating a, a more healthful diet, I think this is a great place to go because salt and sugar and fat are all necessary for human beings to live, but the ways in which the processed food companies have manipulated them, um, both chemically and manipulated us as consumers, are really frightening and are actually very bad for us. So I think, you know, just like not eating as much processed food is a great place to start for a New Year's resolution. Um, and this this book will give you the reasons why. So that's Salt, Sugar, Fat, How the Food Giants Hooked Us by Michael Moss. Well, you mentioned that you're interested in pop science, and so I have a literally gross book for you. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. It is Gulp, Adventures on the Alimentary Canal by Mary Roach, who is the queen of pop science. Let us just be real. Um, And this book is about what happens to food from... When you eat it to when it leaves your body, like the the movement of food throughout your entire body. So you can guess where the gross part comes in. Um, Mary Roach is never afraid to get gross, though. Bless her. Um, and this goes into like it's it's not going to I don't know that it's necessarily going to give you like diet ideas but i think it's use i do think it's useful to know how the body works and why it works the way it does when you're considering like 
you know, making changes to how you deal with your body. Um, and also just fun and entertaining. And this is one of those books where it's like, you're going to remember the science because you either laughed so hard or were so squicked out or both possibly at the <laughs> same time. And I think that's a great way to learn a thing. And like Mary Roach is just so good at this. Like she's, she's just really good at this. Um, so, like, she goes to, like, a pet food taste test lab and, like, you know, looks at, like, a live stomach digesting a meal and talks to exorcists and mad scientists and rabbis. And, like, there's all of these different angles um, that Roach takes to look at, like, what happens to food once it gets into our body and on its way out. Uh, so, I think... I just think this would be an interesting way to like come at it from a sideways angle. Um, you, I mean, there are, like you said, a thousand, thousand books out there about this. And, you know, I was also looking, cause I've also read like here and there on the internet some things about food and anxiety. And I know that there is research out there, but I was not able to find one book that has sort of collected it all yet. And I suspect it's because it's either being written or somebody hasn't quite started yet. But I think in terms of like, if you're looking for scientific studies on the link between diet and anxiety there, I, as far as I can tell, there's not one book on that yet. Now, maybe I just missed it. And if you're listening and you have one, please do share it. Um, but in the meantime, like if you want to think about the science of how our bodies react to food, this is a good one. So again, that is Gulp Adventures on the Elementary Canal by Mary Roach. All right, let's see. Question two is from Lauren, who says, next year, February 2019, haha, so that's this year, I'm taking a cruise of the Mexican Riviera that leaves out of LA, and I'm spending a week in the city beforehand. I've never been to the West Coast and would love some books to familiarize me with landmarks or history of the area, things that I can walk by and feel like I'm in on some secret, you know the deal. I'm a genre fiction lover, mystery, SFF, historical fiction, ideally intersecting with the former two, and I'm trying to get into romance right now, LG LGBT is a huge plus. Uh, Amanda, why don't you go first? Okay, I picked IQ by Joe Ide, which might seem like ooh, a kind ooh, of odd selection for this. I know a thing. Um, I know a thing. It's Joe oh, Ide. Oh, Joe Ide. Thank you. Sorry. No um, so I focused on the part of your question where you said you wanted to feel like you were in on a secret and that you like mysteries. So, But the secret part is really what, what led me to pick this book because it takes place in East Long Beach, which is one of LA's more tough um, in impoverished neighborhoods. And so if you're wanting to get a feel for a city um, and feel like you know something that the tourists don't know, knowing more about the parts of the city that people don't necessarily want you to know about or that, you know, the tourism industry wouldn't want you to go to is, in my opinion, the best way to do that. Like, go off the tourist beaten path, you know. Um, and as a, like, as a mystery, it's so good. It's kind of a modern, like an updated retelling of the Sherlock Holmes kind of story. The main character's name is IQ. He is a, he's in his like early 20s. He's a high school dropout, lives by himself in um, East Long Beach, but he is super smart, like Sherlock Holmes level, you know, kind of genius. And he solves crimes in East Long Beach that the cops don't care about, which in that neighborhood is basically all of them. And his neighbors pay him with whatever they can afford to pay him with. You know, a chicken. Somebody pays him with a chicken. So he's got a chicken in his apartment. Um, you know, casserole, uh, stuff they have laying around the house, whatever. Uh, but he like, like he gets this big reputation as being this fixer and this guy who can solve things that the cops aren't interested in. And so he he gets the attention of a rat mogul who lives in L.A. who is who someone tries to kill with a dog, which is like 
the most random of murder weapons. Um, and it seems unfigure outable. The, the rap mogul, uh, the guy, the victim, is um, has a long list of people who could potentially be coming after him, including a very entertaining ex-wife in this book who's, like, super funny. Um, so it could be any number of people. So he's got to solve this crime. His actual name is Isaiah. There's the, his best friend, the, like, Watson kind of figure in this book is hilarious. And this, like, larger-than-life um, best friend. You go into his backstory a little bit about how he ended up by himself, how he ended up dropping out of high school, even though he is such a super genius. Um, and it is very, like, East Long Beach is very much a side character in and of itself. Uh, and it is uh, the first book in a series. I think the second one came out last year. So if you like it, there is more. So that's IQ by Joe Ide. Yeah, I also got um, really into the idea of like giving you some like neighborhood feel. Um, and I apologize in advance for not fulfilling the LGBT uh, ask. Um, but the book I picked for you is The Madonnas of Echo Park by Brando Skyhorse, which I will caveat with I read this a long time ago when it first came out, um, 2010. So that's like eight years ago. And I don't remember if it has triggers. I think it's possible that it does. I just don't remember exactly. Um, but this book is, is really incredibly atmospheric and it's magical realism. So it fits into that speculative, um, wheelhouse that you have that I share with you. And it is specifically focused on Echo Park, which is a largely, um, or was at the time of this writing. I don't know. I haven't been back to LA in a while. So who knows how things have changed gentrification, etc. But um, it was largely a Hispanic Latinx uh, neighborhood. Um, and uh, Brando Skyhorse himself is uh, Hispanic. And so, and he's like from this neighborhood. And so it's very much like based on his experiences growing up. Um, but it's one of those books that follows a bunch of different characters. They're not short stories. It is a novel, but it weaves in and out of all of these different narratives. Um, so for example, there's one story that's about out about a bunch of, you know, girls and young women who are obsessed with, you know, Madonna music video, and they're going to recreate it on the corner. Um, but then a like drive by shooting happens. And then there's another one who is about, which is about a housekeeper. Um, and then there's another one about a day laborer who witnesses a murder. And like, there's another one about like a very religious woman who's also a hypocrite who meets the Virgin Mary at a bus stop on Sunset Boulevard, like you do. Um, so there's a lot of different strands here and they were all really compellingly voiced. Um, and I think that it is, yeah, it just, I just remember like, it's been a while since I read this book when, but when I think back to it, when when I was thinking about like, oh, what books have I read about LA? This like really strongly popped up into my head, which is a feat considering how long ago I read it and how many books I read in a year. Um, and yeah, it just, and it just reveals sort of this, this uh, corner of LA life that I think is, you know, worth seeing and is so beautifully rendered and the characters were so strong and yeah. So I'm talking in circles now. I'll just wrap it up. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, this is a feel for LA. Um, you might not go wandering around Echo Park, but like you will see a corner of the city that you would not otherwise, if you didn't pick up this book. So that's the Madonnas of Echo Park by Brando Skyhorse. All right. Question three is from Kathleen, who is asking for a fantasy YA with queer primary protagonists. I don't know if it exists, but if it does, I know you can find it. We can. So many. We can find it. So many. Um, I am going to leave a link in the show notes to a post that we did last year, uh, last summer, rounding up 
some of the best LGBTQ fantasy novels. And there is a whole YA section in that post. So I'll just leave that in the show notes. You can look for um, for more suggestions there. But my pick for you is Labyrinth Lost by Zoraida Cordova, which I love and is kind of like a queer Alice in Wonderland <laughs> in a really, like, weird way. Um, the main character's name is Alex. She is 16. 17? 16. Um, and she is a bruja. She's a witch. Her whole family is, uh, which is her sister, her, um, I don't know, I don't think her mother is. Her father has disappeared. And so she is very, like, bitter about having this kind of magic. She doesn't want it. It's brought nothing but, like, chaos and confusion and sadness to her family. And so at her death day celebration, which is, like, a, you know, a big party to inaugurate her into kind of adulthood and becoming, uh, fully coming into her powers, instead of performing the ceremony as it's intended, she casts a spell to get rid of her powers. Um, but what it does is sends her whole family to like this alternate dimension and leaves her all alone with this dude from her neighborhood named Nova, who she is like really suspicious of, but also very attracted to, and her best friend, whose name I can't remember, who she's not suspicious of, she loves her, but also loves her, question mark? It's like this very intense bisexual tri- love triangle that I'm obsessed with. Um, and so they, the three of them fall into this portal to, like, go after Alex's family to try to save them. Um, well, Nova doesn't care about the family, but Nova's, like, going. Um, she offers to pay him, if I remember correctly. Anyway, uh, so they go into this other dimension to save her family and go on this, like, series of increasingly more difficult and challenging, um, not, not missions, but, like, challenges that they have to overcome in order to figure out what's going on, where her family's gone, how to reverse the spell, how to save her family, how to get out of this, like, weird wonderland they've tumbled into and back to the real world while also dealing with their teenage angsty feelings. Favorite. Just favorite. Also, Zoraida Cordova is one of the... This has nothing to do with the book. I'm just telling you my personal experience that meeting her and, like, standing in front of her, you're like, how do you exist? Like, you're so perfect. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and the second book in the series is out and is about one of the side characters, the sister, so you can read both. So that's Labyrinth Lost by Zoraida Cordova. Cosign. Mm-hmm. All right, I picked Girls Made of Snow and Glass by Melissa Basherdust, um, which was described in like the marketing materials as Frozen meets the Bloody Chamber in this reimagining of Snow White, which is like, it's a lot of things going on. <laughs> um, but I don't think it's so far off, actually. Um, and so if that appeals to you, like, I think you will want to pick up this book. Um, but it is about, it is a Snow White fairy tale reimagining. So there is a stepmother and then a little girl. But what I loved about the, well, one of the things I loved about this book is that it starts off and you get Mina's story who becomes the stepmother and she, oh, trigger warning for um, abusive parents. Um, so her father is terrible and um, her mother died when she was very young and she's been raised by this terrible father. And she has like a heart that is like almost literally made of glass. Um, and she doesn't quite know all of the things about herself. She just knows that she's different and she's been raised in this way to believe that like, feelings aren't really real and you can manipulate other people's feelings and all this stuff, even though she wants better than that. Um, and so she like sets herself up to catch, you know, the attention of the King and, um, they get married. Um, but you know, he has a little daughter, um, 
um, because Mina is not his first wife. And, um, and then it cuts forward to when Lynette, who is the little girl, is 15. Um, and she's been raised. She basically, Mina is the only mother she's ever known. And they're actually very close for the most part. And then the king decides to, now that she's like 15, she's going to take on duties and responsibilities. And he gives her control over the southern territories which like was Mina's and there are all these, you know, now there's like this power struggle and how is it going to turn out? Um, and at one point Lynette like takes off on a little adventure, like all by herself. Um, and what I love about this is that it doesn't do the expected thing with this female relationship. And it really is all about the way that women are set against each other can be set against each other by other people in their life, including men. Um, and like, how do you combat that? How do you find your way out of that false competition narrative? And it has a beautiful uh, queer love story and it's got so many feelings. Like this book has a really big beating heart. And I just felt all of those feelings as I was reading it. And it's very atmospheric. The world building is really great. Um, I just think, yeah, I really, I really loved it. I would have spent more time in this world if it had been an option for me. So again, that's Girls Made of Snow and Glass by Melissa Busherdust. Okay, our next question is from Michelle, who says, I'm looking for a superhero or sci-fi graphic novel to give my dad that includes queer characters. The main character slash plot of the story doesn't need to center around queerness. I am queer myself, and though I came out to my dad many years ago, we've never talked about it since, so I want to sneak some queerness into the types of stories he already loves and is familiar with. I considered sharing saga with my dad, but while it would be otherwise perfect, there's just too much nudity slash sex, sad trombone. He is a very prim and proper old-fashioned type of guy so something more pg slash pg 13 please what you got i love love it the like the eternal problem of wanting to get people to read saga but it's just too (laughs) naked it's like so real it's just too naked it's so bloody but it's so good um i picked america uh, volume one, The Life and Times of America Chavez by Gabby Rivera and Joe Quinones, who does the art. Um, this is like the superheroist of superhero um, comics. And the first graphic novel, volume one, obviously collects vol- um, editions one through six of the comic. Um, and so I, I don't know how familiar you are with America Chavez, but she is a young Avenger um, and she leads the Ultimates. And this uh, collection or these comics with your six are about her going to college and also dealing with some of her identity issues. She's an orphan. Both of her moms are dead. Um, she's also a lesbian and she doesn't, she does figure out where she's like, you know, capital from, from as a person of color. And people ask you, where are you from? They're asking you with like the capital F. Uh, and that's like an identity, um, issue that she's working through in the book. Also, there's a little bit of romance. There's some Captain America dropping in appearances, um, and there's like an alien cult, a couple of monsters she's got to defeat, and college. It reminds me a lot of the first volume of the Squirrel Girl comics, where she like, you know, I'm going to class, defeating this giant enemy that's threatening interdimensional space and time, going to my other class. Like, this is what's happening. Um, and it's not, it, it's not ignored, obviously. Like, there's a whole storyline about um, America and her romantic life and this, like, friend. So, anyway, I don't want to spoil it for you or your dad. Um, it's not ignored. But it's also not made, like, a giant thing of. This is just her character, and this is what she is feeling and dealing with in her day-to-day life as she, you know, lives, figures out who she is, comes into her own, and beats up 
monsters. Um, and it's just great. It's just like very kind of classic superhero story arc that I really appreciate. So that's America, Volume 1 by Gabby Rivera and Joe Quinones. I picked you one on spec um, because most of the ones that I wanted to recommend were more on the explicit side. But from what I know of the reviews of this one, it is not. And it's timely. It's Black Panther World of Wakanda uh, by a couple authors, including Roxanne Gay. Um, And this is the backstory of the Dora Milaje um, and also includes two young ladies in love. Very nice. Um, And... I like this from like, again, this is on spec, but from what I understand about this, um, it actually gives a lot of the backstory of Black Panther and like the world of Wakanda and oh, as the title would suggest <laughs> and um, the Dora Milaje and a lot of people in the reviews have mentioned how they wish they had read this before they started the Black Panther run. Um, so if your dad is like generally a fan of the Marvel Universe, um, this would be a great one because it's going to fill out more story in a world that he's perhaps already at least a little bit familiar with. Um, and obviously the movies are so great and the Dora Milaje and that were like amazing, but you don't really get their story. Um, and so I think that this is a great addition to that world of comics if he's interested in. Um, and, you know, it's a lot about like, I think we saw Dana Guerrero's character go through this, like, okay, like, what do you, when you are, when you've sworn to serve the throne, then, like, what do you do when you maybe don't agree with the throne or, like, the throne is Mm. under attack in a way that, like, you, it's, like, it gives you a conflict. Um, So that is explored a lot in these stories. Um, It's a collection of six issues. So, like, Roxanne Gay wrote one. um, Yona Harvey wrote another. Like, there's different uh, writers involved. Um, But, yeah, it is a continued storyline, and I think this might be a good one. So, again, that is Black Panther World of Wakanda by a bunch of authors, including Roxanne Gay. Okay, before we continue, we're going to talk about our second sponsor, which is The Only Woman in the Room by Marie Benedict. I love that title, The Only Woman in the Room. This is historical fiction. If you're familiar with Marie Benedict, her last books were um, Carnegie's Maid and The Other Einstein. And so she is very much writing about like the untold stories of women from history. And this is an untold story of Hedy Lamarr, who was the Hollywood bombshell uh, during World War II, who escaped the Nazi party by marrying an Austrian arms dealer and moving to the U.S. And she was very, like, oh, you know, she's very pretty. Everyone ignored her because she was very pretty. So they um, made assumptions about her intelligence level. So she overheard a lot of uh, plans being made by the Third Reich while she was, like, with her husband. Of course, she understood way more than anyone gave her credit for. Uh, And then she eventually invented the precursors to wireless technology in in an attempt to, to fight the Nazis. So if anyone would like to listen to her, but she's a pretty woman and an actress. So in the 40s, is anyone going to listen to her? Big shrug, question mark. And that is uh, the story of this book. I actually really love the way the synopsis is written. I don't ever like just straight read the synopses during these ad reads, but I really like the first two lines was she possessed a stunning beauty. She also possessed a stunning mind. Could the world handle both? question mark. And I, I like love that <laughs> premise, right? Um, because it's still a thing that women deal with now, no matter how we look. If we're if we're pretty, it's assumed that we're probably not as smart. If we're smart, it's assumed that we're not that interested in romance. So like, you know, it's that classic thing where women can't do anything right. Um, and you add in some Nazis and like 
STEM and defeating international evil, and I'm like super there. So that is, um, I've already forgotten the title, even though I just said that I really loved it. The Only Woman in the Room. Oh, so good. The Only Woman in the Room by Marie Benedict. So go check that out. All right, question five is from Gabriella, and she says, my aunt recently passed away. She was like my second mom, so it's been a really difficult time for my family. Recently, her only son, my cousin, who's in his early 20s, came to me looking for uh, fiction to help him deal with grief. As the resident YA librarian of the family, I recommended The Astonishing Color of After by Emily XR Pan, but I was wondering if you had any other grief-related fiction recs. My aunt immigrated from Cuba when she was young and got a degree from NYU in fashion before moving on to teach high school English to ESL students. So any books with a Hispanic element would be great, but no pressure. Okay, what do you got, Jen? Well, okay, so <laughs> bear with me. I know you asked for fiction, but I just feel like this fits in other ways. So my pick for you and your uh, cousin is Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant by Roz Chast. And it is a graphic memoir. Um, Roz Chast is a cartoonist best known for, I think, her New Yorker work. Um, But she was dealing with aging parents. And this is a memoir about the last years of their lives, which includes like both struggling to deal with them, like refusing to leave their apartment and, and then, you know, moving them to a home and like, how do you pay for that? And then like the actual moments of their death. Um, and her, she's so real about the complicated feelings of both grief and like frustration, uh, that can come when dealing with aging parents and, you know, like what is your role as a daughter, like as a grown adult who is still like the child of your parents and all of those things. Um, and so I think that, you know, that for me was so worth it. Like that, that articulation of the complicated feelings that you have. And I will never forget towards the end of the book when she's talking about her mother's death, like there's this beautiful sketch of her mother in her last moments. And this really just, I'm like tearing up thinking about it. Like this really moving, you know, thoughts from her on being present with her mother as she was dying. And it's just like, Ooh, like it's, it's a, there's a lot of feelings here. Um, and I just think that that, might resonate with you and your family. Um, and because it is a graphic memoir, like it's, it's, it reads so fast. It's so beautiful to look at. Like it's not fiction, but it has a narrative flow that is not unlike fiction. Um, so that's why I went a little off track with this. So I apologize, but I really think it's a great one. Um, so again, that's Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant by Roz Chast. Um, I picked I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Erica L. Sanchez, which is a YA novel about a, a teenager named Julia whose sister has died when the movie, movie, Lord, whoo, January, <laughs> when the book opens. <laughs> um, her sister has, has just died, I think when, like on page one, she's coming home from the funeral. Um, her sister Olga, who was her older sister, was hit by a car and was like perfect. She was taking community college classes, but staying at home. Um, with her parents, very dutiful, never dated, never got any trouble, had really good grades. Julia is the opposite of that. Julia um, gets good grades, but she's very interested in like punk rock and wearing black and not getting married and wants to move far, far away from her parents and go to college somewhere else to study literature, which is, you know, quote unquote, not a real job. Um, and she is interested in dating. And so she's really not living up to the expectations her parents have for her um, for being like a dutiful Mexican daughter. Um, and they projected all of that onto the older girl who is now gone. So Julia has to deal with both 
the expectations of her family um, being directed at her now, which she's not into, um, but also the grief of dealing with uh, the death of her sister, who she finds out very soon when the book opens, she didn't really know uh, who she didn't really know at all. Olga has a lot of secrets um, and was living this kind of double life and, in which she you know, wasn't perfectly living up to the expectations of her family and was kind of doing what she wanted. She was just doing it on the DL. Um, so the book, the thing that I really love about I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter is that it, it addresses the depression that can come out of grieving really frankly. Julia um, has mental health issues she and it's it's like comes to bear because she is so full of grief over the death of her sister um because of you know obviously what's obviously she's sad that her sister has died but also because of the ripples that it sends through her family and the way that it um intensifies her her pre-existing feelings of depression and she uh gets professional help for it like it's so frank it's so frank and non-judgmental. Um, and I think that somebody who's really dealing with grief, it's helpful to have permission t- to feel it, you know, like it's helpful to have permission to get as far into it as you need to go and to also get help with it, which, you know, is still a, th- a thing that I think a lot of people struggle with, with feeling like it's okay to seek assistance for mental health issues. I don't know. I feel like there's still a, kind of a stigma there. Um, so yeah, that's, I'm not your perfect Mexican daughter by Erica L. Sanchez. Alrighty, Ooh, it's me. It's you. It's me. Um, that was heavy. Heavy. <laughs> that was a lot. Yeah, it's good though. It's good. Um, feelings. You know, we have them. Uh, <laughs> the next question is from Sarah, who says, "I recently started a job as a content writer for a company that owns and operates campgrounds and RV parks. I love writing and enjoy my bo- my job. The only problem is I know nothing about camping. I've never even been camping. Could you please recommend some books to give me insight into camping and RV travel? Please know getting lost in the wilderness or survival." type books. Sarah, we got you. Um, (laughs) I am so excited to recommend to you The Nature Fix, Why Nature Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Creative by Florence Williams. I have been, I was raised camping, like we did camping Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, And I love a good hike. And this book is all about the actual like measured, scientifically studied and measured effects of nature on our brain chemistry, our heart rate, our cortisol levels, our, you know, just like there there actually are measurable effects of nature on many aspects of our body chemistry and mental health. And like your company will be so impressed when you start dropping information about like the neurology of camping into your work. Like seriously, Um, I think it's, and it's such a good grounding on like people talk about like the beauty of nature and the feeling of unwinding Um, and you know, Oh, how glorious it is to like look at a sunrise, but it's like, okay, but why, like, why Mm -hmm. are those things glorious? Why do we feel a certain way when we get out into nature? And it turns out they're science. Like, oh, I love this so much. I was already sold on nature. Like, you didn't have to sell me on nature. But I think that what Florence Williams does here is so fascinating. And it's so readable. Like, it is is very accessible, popular science. And 
she's approaching it from this angle where she, you know, like also was a big nature fan, lived in Boulder, Colorado for many years where nature is literally just a step outside of your door. And then she and her family moved to DC because of her partner's job. And suddenly, you know, she's in this deeply urban environment and experiencing anxiety and stress in a way that she hadn't before. Um, and, and then she got turned on to the scientific research. So she goes to like, she goes to Korea, she goes to Finland, she goes to California, she goes, you know, into Nevada with like a bunch of scientists on a camping trip. And she talks to all these different people and participates in some of these experiments and talks about the results and like what she felt versus what was measurable. And it's just fascinating. Um, it's really, really, really good. Really, really interesting. And I can't believe that I haven't seen more about this science because it seems like really, it's like, like a lot of really amazing results in here. So again, that's the nature fix. Why nature makes us happier, healthier, and more creative by Florence Williams. Um, okay, I picked Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century by Jessica Bruder. And this is a work of investigative journalism about um, how campgrounds and RV parks in, now are very often full of older Americans who were hit really hard by the Great Recession and lost their homes and retirement and are now living transiently out of what often are, are appear to be very fancy um recreational vehicles, but they are technically, technically, uh, in quotes, homeless. Um, and I feel like if you're working for a company that operates RV parks and campgrounds, you're going to run into this situation more often than you probably expect. I did not, I had no idea that this was happening um, until I met a couple uh, at a state park near my parents' house who had tried to retire, lost everything in the Great Recession, and now spent their um, lives in an RV that they take from state park to state park working for the, the parks and rec department as like camp posts. Um, so this is actually like really, really common. And Jessica Bruder spends several, I think three years living in an RV following these people around. They number in the tens of thousands and they're mostly in the, in the Western part of the U S where it's warmer. Um, but she follows them from these kinds of seasonal jobs that they take. Um, like in North Dakota, it's really popular um, for them to come pick beets, like in beet fields in October through December, they all work for Amazon, which has an entire, uh, workforce program called camper force, where they advertise specifically to post-retirement age Americans who have no money what? to get them to come. Yes. Yes. To get them to bring their RVs and their campers to these huge Amazon warehouses to fulfill orders during the holiday season. And these are people in their 70s and 80s who are walking 13, 14, 15 miles a day in these 100-degree, you know, warehouses on concrete with no breaks. Um, And, you know, Amazon has a lot of... um, uh, labor issues and but this is one that I didn't I didn't know about but they have like they have a newsletter they have a camper force newsletter they have stickers that are just that's just an RV with the Amazon smile on it that they market specifically to older Americans who have nothing who've lost who've lost everything uh partially because billionaires like Jeff Bezos never mind let me not go there anyway <laughs> <laughs> so Amanda gets socialist on that but <laughs> It was bound to happen. Take it off it's on your bingo card. It's only January 9th. It's only January 9th. Um, anyway, if you're working for, uh, you know, an RV park or, or a campground or anything like that, I feel like you're, you're going to run into uh, um, older Americans who seem like they've got uh, got it all together, but in reality are very strapped and are, are struggling. Um, and those are like some, you know, things to keep in mind when you're when you're writing content about your 
particular company. So that's Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century by Jessica Bruder. Fascinating. Yeah, the Amazon stuff was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay, last question is from Alana, who says, I'm a new podcast listener and have been enjoying your recs. I recently read Baby Teeth by Zoji Stage. Stage. I'd like to read more books that explore the tensions of motherhood, whether personal, marital, familial, or cultural. As a busy working mom of a toddler, I feel the intense range of emotions that motherhood evokes, the challenges of time poverty, the mental load, the social pressure to be a good mom who finds ultimate fulfillment in her child and never has a moment of uncertainty. I'm not looking for social science, but more of a literary exploration of the theme. In general, I love novels. I'm a huge fan of psychological thrillers and also enjoy well-written, compelling memoirs. However, in the motherhood memoir genre, I read I'm Happy Just to Be Here and didn't like it too much. I'd love to hear your ideas. All right. Jen, what you got? I've got, nobody's surprised if you've been following along <laughs> with our Persist Instagram book club, but I've got Guidebook to Relative Strangers by Camille T. Dungy for you. It is so good, y'all. And also, I think it rings like all of these bells because she is talking about personal, marital, and cultural baggage around being a mother, um, as well as being an academic. So the subtitle of this book is Journeys into Race, Motherhood, and History. And like with a side note, I really think nature should have been in there because she talks so much about nature and it's so great. But um, anyway, side note. Um, <laughs> so this is a memoir told in essays that are not super linear. They meander quite a bit both internally and then a little bit in terms of like the timeline of the book. But you basically get different moments of her life from right before she had her daughter um, to about, I think, four years old when her daughter is about four. And the last essay in the book um, takes place when the child is three. So it moves around a little bit in time. But um, she is a working poet um, and academic. And she and her husband, you know, really really were struggling with money when they conceived and had their daughter. And so it meant that she just couldn't, she had to keep doing her full load, which meant like teaching classes while she was pumping and like, and, you know, traveling on these um, book tours and lecture circuits with often her infant daughter because, you know, they couldn't afford to pay for, you know, full-time care. So, um, so you get a look at what that looks like. And she's, there's not like a lot of, um, how do I want to say this? There's not a lot of emotional conflict, at, at least in the way she structures it, but you see a full range of emotions from her about motherhood, like her fears before it happened and her fears about like how to be a good mom while also still working, you know, 12 hour days sometimes and what it's like to be traveling with an infant on your own and, you know, to rely sort of on these other people to help you make your life livable. Um, and also being a black mother and of a black child and like how do people respond to you in that way and so many of the places she goes like she there's this one trip she takes to Alaska um, and it's just like well we're like the only you know or Maine it's like well we're pretty much the only black people in town like this is it mm -hmm. um, and what that's like and uh, it's just so 
she's such a beautiful, beautiful writer. And I think if you can hang with the slightly unstructured approach, it is so rewarding. I also learned things about history, American history in particular, that I would not have learned otherwise. Um, and she just, she just such a good storyteller. It's like sitting down with a really smart, brilliant friend over coffee and having her like tell you all of these stories about her life and so thoughtfully and so like with such good like oh her word choice just kills me you can tell she's a poet um so yeah i love this book my copy is like highlighted and dog-eared to hell and um i think it will give you a lot of that like yeah just like this this sort of atmosphere of motherhood and how that fits into your regular life and how regular life doesn't stop and so you just have to keep going and what does that look like um so again that's guidebook to relative strangers by camille t dungy all right. I picked Ongoingness by Sarah Manguso, which is a super slim, like 90 page, maybe 100 pages, um, little memoir. Um, and like each page is a paragraph. So it's really easy to read and get through, which I think is important when you have a toddler. Um, and this comes at childhood or childhood, childbearing and motherhood kind of sideways. It is about her diary. And for her most of her life, for 25 years, Sarah Manguso kept a daily diary where she wrote down pretty much everything that ever happened to her, mostly so that she wouldn't have to think about it, um, because now it's written down, so it's done. I'm done with it. Moving on. Um, and, you know, then I won't have to spend, like, mental energy figuring out my life. And it was almost obsessive, and it got to, like, it ballooned to 800,000 words and was kind of this meditative practice that she was doing. Um, and then she got pregnant, and then she had a baby, and those things really changed her relationship with her diary and her ability to sit down every day and write down everything that's happened to her, both because, as you mentioned in your question, there's the mental load and the time poverty of being a parent doesn't leave you a lot of room for that kind of thing, Um, but also the mental load and time poverty of being a parent doesn't leave you a lot of room for remembering what happened to you that day. Like, I did 80 loads of laundry and I don't (laughs) remember. Everything else is a blur. Where am I? What's my name? Uh, Who? What's happening? Um, but she is so spare, it, or like her writing is so spare, and it's really um, a book about a book, almost, uh, in a way, even though her diary is not published. It's not her whole diary. It's it's like meditations on the act of diarying, and meditations on the act of um, internal monologuing and of introspection when you are under so much pressure to both keep this, you know, new human being alive, but also to, as you mentioned, be a quote-unquote good mom that society accepts, um, which does involve sacrificing your artistic sensibilities and your intellectual life in a lot of ways. Like, that's what society wants for mothers specifically, is for those things to no longer be important. Um, and Manguso is is really trying to to fight that, even though she, in practicality, cannot continue keeping such an extensive diary um, that was so important to her. So it does come at your question a little bit sideways, but in at the same time is like directly answering um, all of the things that you wanted to talk about. So that's Ongoingness, The End of a Diary by Sarah Manguso. And that is our show. Huzzah! Hey, alrighty. Thank you all so much for listening. Please go leave us a rating or review or both. I don't know. On Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram, mostly at I'm Amanda Nelson. It's all pictures of my dog. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, that's it. It's just my dog. <laughs> I love your Instagram, though. And, um, <laughs> and I am sort of on Twitter these days. It's Jen IRL, and that's Jen with two N's, IRL. And we will talk to you all next week. 